in remembrance of America's independence, which of course is now in question and most certainly in danger, we pause from our series in Second Samuel to consider the way back toward biblical liberty. Our old covenant reading coming from Deuteronomy in chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the entire 25 verses. Beloved of the Lord, this is the word of God unto us this morning. By the word of God, Moses records this. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with thee, and that ye might increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house, and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you, for the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness, if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, one verse only, 
perhaps only needing to state this one verse, he says this, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower there fades away, but the word of God stands forever. And by his holy word is the gospel presented unto us again this day, even the gospel of true liberation. Now, writing to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul sets forth this fundamental principle. He states very clearly, very succinctly, that wherever God's Spirit is, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is present, the result is liberty, liberation. But what does that mean? Well, in the first instance, Paul is stating that when God the Holy Spirit is present and actively energized in an individual or in a community, in an institution, or even in a nation for that matter, liberty prevails. Liberty is evident. However, there's an additional implication to this verse which coordinates with God the Holy Spirit himself. Now, Jesus defines these things. He plainly stated in John chapter 6 that the word of God is actually synonymous with the Spirit of God. He actually defines the Word of God as that which is spiritual or the Spirit of God. Notice what he says in John 6.63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. So he puts those two together. So whenever the law Word of God is present and active in an individual or in a community or in an institution or in a nation, the result is liberty. In other words, follow the commandments of God, either an individual, a family, an institution, a nation, whatever. Follow the commandments of God by the Spirit's energizing power and liberty results. And this is precisely what David meant when he stated in Psalm 119, verse 45, I will walk at liberty because I seek thy precepts. I'm looking at the word of God. I'm seeking the word of God. Therefore, I will walk at liberty because I'm walking according to the commandments. But the opposite is also true. Whenever the word of God is absent, ignored, or perverted, the spirit of God, therefore, is absent as well. Therefore, the result is no longer liberty, but bondage and tyranny. The more the word of God is ignored, the more God ignores that individual community, institution, or nation. The more the word of God is twisted or perverted, the more God lifts his restraining hand from an individual, a family, a community, an institution, or a nation. And they too go into perversion and debauchery. Rebel against the commandments of God and slavery results. Let me say that again. Resulting in slavery means you have violated the commandments of God. So if you have slavery, you have disobedience, you have perversion. Therefore, in order for an individual, a family, a community, an institution, or a nation to enjoy the blessings of liberty, they must be educated and embrace an explicitly Christocentric foundation, an explicitly Christocentric truth. Author, theologian, educator, and my friend, Stephen Perks makes this observation in his work, The Christian Philosophy of Education. He says, quote, The test of the church's relevance to society. Notice how he's concerned about the relevance of the church of Jesus Christ in society. In any age, 
is in the radically biblical stance it takes toward the vital issues of the era and by its biblical approach to those issues, its positive transforming effects on society. This was the case with the Reformation. It is no less the case today. The strength of the Reformation Church was that it recognized and dealt with the vital issues of the day in terms of the requirements of biblical faith. The weakness of the church today, including most Reformed and Evangelical churches, is the fact that it does not recognize nor does it deal adequately with the issues that it faces in the 21st century. Education is one of those issues. Indeed, education is likely to be the single most important and strategic issue facing the Christian in the years ahead as he struggles to engage in the Christian reconstruction of the nation, end quote. Notice his focus on relevance. Note how Perks uses the correct terminology also when he refers to learning as education. He doesn't speak about schooling, he speaks about education. And this is why I take so many pains when I preach the gospel, when I preach from the scriptures, to try to educate the body of Christ. Because the pulpit is the place of education. The reason being is that there is a difference between education and schooling. Today's modern education system is not true education. It's schooling. It's a schooling methodology for the express purpose, and more so now than ever before, it is evident, for the express purpose of indoctrination. Not education, but indoctrination through schooling. Education. And this is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is all about. Education is the key to cultural transformation Godward, whereas schooling is the method used by the secularists and the reprobate pagans for the transformation of the culture into debauchery and lasciviousness. What we are witnessing today is the destruction of America as a result of the destruction of its moral fabric through the use of the government schooling system. And while the effects of the degraded school system might have been less obvious in the past, it's evident now, more so than ever. So those at the helm of this school system have finally taken off their masks to show us exactly, in their pride, in their boldness, in their hubris, they finally take it off their mask to show us exactly what their plan was all along, to hijack the future by taking over the children, by perverting the children and indoctrinating the children in their pagan ways. The government schooling system is a propaganda pipeline for the takeover of America's liberty, and they're doing a great job at it. But what is so frightening about what we are witnessing today is exactly what the anti-Christian communists and the pagan reprobates have hoped for. This was their strategy all along. And at the top of the list of the tyrannical, freedom-hating, God-hating reprobates, let me say that again, tyrannical, freedom-hating, God-hating reprobates, is to get control of the schools. That's what they want, because they knew how and they know how Important it is to get to the kids. And here's what they want. They want to use the school as transmission belts for lawlessness and evil. 
Their second tactic is to get control of the teachers through their unions and dumb down the student body. The next phase is to teach the youth to hate America, hate its history, hate its achievements, as if everything about the nation was racist or hateful. And that's exactly what they're doing. And one of the major strategies of the pagan reprobates, those liberty-hating pagans, once they control the schools is to break down the cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books and magazines, motion pictures, music and TV. And that opens the doorway for the presentation and normalcy of homosexuality, degeneracy and promiscuity as natural. And and even today, they're saying all of this perversion is even healthy. We have to express ourselves. And since the strategy of the wicked is for a complete control of the children, they must then discredit the family, the traditional biblical trustee family, as a necessary institution for the well-being of the child. So they're targeting everything. Government schools and many of the progressive laws of America are seeking to divorce children from their parents so that they can take on the role of the parent themselves. So destroy the biblical trustee family and replace it with the debauchery and promiscuity under the complete oversight of wicked men and women in the schools, and victory can be proclaimed. And this is why Moses is telling Israel, here's how you educate. Because they understood that once the family can be discredited, then it can be argued that the parents are only a negative influence on the children. And that's what they're saying today. Parents are a negative influence on the children. So if the parents and the family can be discredited, then it can also be argued that only the community or the state or the village can properly raise children. And once those ethical and institutional safeguards are broken down, the nation is ripe for implosion. Liberty is then lost and a slavish tyranny results. It raises its ugly head. This is why every Christian parent must immediately remove their children from the indoctrinating poison of the American school system before the future is lost to the depraved miscreants of society. I call on every preacher, every pastor, every clergyman, every priest to tell their congregation to exit the school system now. Because only an explicitly distinct Christocentric educating system which occurs expressly in the home of, under the oversight and care of the biblical family structure with the support of the church can reorient the culture Godward. If that does not happen, we will lose America. The second tactic for the Christian community is to reorient the culture Godward. And the way to do that is to put extreme pressure on civil rulers to clean house. Because when Moses counseled Israel as to how they were to educate their children, he was not counseling them in the methodology of schooling. Notice what he says. These are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord our God commanded to teach you so that you would do them. So that you would go into the land and possess the land so there would be liberty proclaimed in the nation so that you might fear the Lord thy God that you would keep his statutes, his commandments those which I've commanded you you, your son, your son, son notice the focus on the generational continuity of this commandment all the days of thy life and this way your days will be prolonged You have to hear and observe so that it might be well with you and that you might increase mightily, not decrease, not be tormented, not be terrorized by the wicked. 
So you ought to teach them diligently. Notice he focuses upon not just teaching, but diligently teaching them, talking with them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when they're in your company day after day after day, being educated Christocentrically. So God, through Moses, first commands his people to educate their children with God as the center of their education. Not an add-on, not an appendage, but God, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the center of all learning. And this means that they are to define all things, explain all things, understand all things according to the revealed truth of God. Only in this way can the student learn to apply all things. When they define, explain, and understand, then they can apply. So now the question is this. Why was this education commandment of Deuteronomy chapter 6 so critical to the prosperity of the nation? And what did this type of education have to do with the liberty of the nation? In other words, is there a connection between a biblical God-honoring education and liberty. Another question one might ask is, why were the parents given the sole responsibility for the theocentric, Christocentric education of the children? And not the community, not the state, not the village, not the school, and certainly not the library board. Well, firstly, because Christocentric education is a covenant obligation between God and the parents, not the state or any institution governed by the state. It's a covenant obligation. Don't train your child at home and you are violating one of the fundamental covenantal obligations that God has given to parents. The educating of children is a universal covenant obligation to all mankind, not just Christians but all mankind, since all are created in the image of God, they are to be educated accordingly, but especially, of course, especially for us, especially targeting the Christian community. Only by educating within the construct of a Christocentric model can education even begin to satisfy the covenant obligation. And so to violate that covenant is to be a covenant breaker. It's as simple as that. Secondly, Since all education is based upon religious presuppositions, education is either good or it's evil. It's either God-centered or man-centered. can't be both. The meaning, method, and goal of the education process is inescapably based upon religious ideas, upon metaphysical assumptions about man, God, the universe, history, and every other subject within the created order. And through the process of educating and learning, worldviews are established. What kind of worldviews are being established in the churches today and in the government schools today? And these worldviews not only frame reality, they determine how a person functions in the world that God made. So if you have a structure which is teaching that a reality is not a reality according to God's word, they're going to function accordingly. But worldviews have to frame the reality that God made so that people can function within the world that God made. Any perversion or inversion of God's reality leads to bondage. It leads to misery. It leads to perversion. And ultimately, it leads to destruction. 
What the wicked try to do is invert reality, the reality of God's law order, to fit their perverted ideas of reality. This is normal. That is normal. When God says this is perverse, this is wicked, this is damnable, this will bring condemnation. As God-haters, all of them desiring to be God, they believe that they could create whatever world they want according to their lust, according to their lust and their perversions, even if it means... And this is what's so astounding. Even if it means total destruction of the entire social order, including all of mankind. As long as they get their perverted ideas out, as long as their perverted realities satisfy their sexual perverted lust and their insatiable desire for tyrannical control, it doesn't matter what the resulting is, anything goes. The result is destruction. And the reason why the wicked are so powerful today is because they are fueled by their lustful desires. Think about the power of lust. Think about the power of lust. Even when you have to deal with your own sin, the power of that sin. It's almost unbearable to even deal with it. And as a response, we Christians need to be fueled by the desires of the Spirit, the lusts of the Spirit. We should be fueled by righteous desires, not lustful, wicked desires. We should be fueled by the desires of the Spirit for the righteousness of Christ and the liberty that has been promised to those who will fight for the kingdom's glory. The third point. In order to ensure a generational continuity, Godward, parents are obligated to train their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord through a generational continuity of faith and obedience, the societal construct is blessed and national prosperity results. This means that within the societal order of a nation that fears God, there will be the manifestation of righteousness, justice, equity, and peace. But look at America. Does America fear God? Do the Christian parents who have their children in government schools, can they rightly say that they fear God? Can they rightly say that they want their children to have a explicitly Christocentric education? You see, the future, once the children are protected in a God-honoring education system, the future is protected and hope is restored. And then, generationally, if that is continuous, it is maintained. But once again, the reverse is also true. Whenever the fear of God is no longer the foundation of education and the Spirit of the Lord is absent there is the manifestation of all manner of evil, lawlessness, perversion, hatred, societal chaos, and the distinct possibility of civil war. And we are on the precipice of chaos. Without biblical continuity vis-a-vis biblical education, nations eventually implode and fade into history, destroyed under the judgment of God as a result of the society's perversion. As Jesus warns, Remember Lot's wife. Make no mistake about it. Education is a central aspect of every societal order and it is connected distinctly with liberty and the task of educating is expressly given to the parent with the support of the church and the Christian community. Therefore, Christian children ought to be educated as Christians, not as humanistic unbelievers. They're covenant children. They need to have Christ set forth before them daily. Brent Winters, in his book, The Excellency of the Common Law, explains. Listen to this very carefully. He says this, quote, 
one can learn from the mistakes of the Greeks and Romans and gain wisdom from the negative experiences resulting from their mistakes. Familiarity with the foundational fallacies of the Greek thinkers is useful, but devotion to their methods and the reliability of human reason to arrive at truth without testing it against God's eternal standards will bring destruction. He then quotes from B.F. McLaren, and he says, The early Romans, though pagans, nonetheless, think about this, the Romans were pagans. The early Romans, though pagans, nevertheless, exercised their natural ability to discern the dangers of Greek culture. For many years, they would not permit the Greeks to teach their children because many of them were homosexuals. Lacking God's spirit, oh, there it is, there's the key. Lacking God's spirit, however, the Romans' resolve to persist in resisting the seductions of Greek culture failed. Seduction lulled Rome to sleep, and she drowned in a sea of sensuality. It's America. This is America. This is the Christian church. Lacking the Spirit of God, those parents are sending their children to the Greeks. And so it is impossible to sustain a bulwark against the onslaught of evil without the Spirit of God. Perks again comments, he says, quote, The source of our understanding of what Christianity is, and hence the sole criterion for establishing its content, is the infallible Word of God revealed to us in the Old and New Testaments. In other words, the philosophy, or let me say it this way, education, must be based upon the sola scriptura of the Christian religion. The scriptures should be understood as the supreme and governing authority for our understanding of all things and hence for our understanding of the nature, purpose, and method of a truly Christian education, end quote. Furthermore, it is the duty of every professing Christian parent to comply with God's command of Deuteronomy 6. And since every parent is, as I said before, covenantally responsible to educate and train their children, and since the covenant is a covenant in Jesus Christ as a covenant of righteousness, Christ-centered dominion, Education, if it is to be acceptable, if it is to be acceptable before God, it must be education for cultural dominion Godward. The goal of biblical education, to educate a child, is not so as to secure a prosperous career. And a lot of, a lot of Christian parents, they're educating their children at home so that they're more academically astute. But it's not about that. It's not for a a prosperous career, a good job, a secure pension, or even a moral conviction, but for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Whenever the ultimate goal of education departs from preparing a child for the advancement of the kingdom of God, it is no longer a Christian education. Let me say that again. If your child is not being groomed to advance the kingdom of God, the crown rights of King Jesus... It is not a Christian education. If Christian parents are to be covenant keepers, obedient to the Lord to whom they profess to love and serve, they are to remove their children immediately from the government's secularized school system and train them in the way that they are commanded expressly for cultural Christ-centered dominion. So again, let me be perfectly clear. Government schooling is institutionally anti-God and it is institutionally anti-Christ. It has recently shown itself also to be a powerful indoctrination, institution of perversion and debauchery. 
And because it is anti-God and anti-Christ, it is the institution of death. And my friend, Dr. Lance Box puts it, he says it this way. You cannot reconstruct what is substantially and irrevocably toxic. So to be fair, there are many Christian parents, many Christian families who actually do keep their children out of the government indoctrination centers. And on the surface, that's a great thing. But my question is, how many are educating their children for the express purpose of advancing the kingdom of Christ or preparing their children for the culture war that is at their very door? Too many Christian parents are educating for purely pragmatic reasons. Far too many well-meaning Christian parents who keep their children home do not actually educate them. They actually are schooling them. They're using the model of the school system. In other words, they're merely taking the construct and methodology of the government school system, the government schooling curriculum, the government schooling testing program, and incorporating it into the home. I don't read anywhere in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where Moses says, now listen, go to the Greeks, go to the Romans, get their testing curriculum. Get their curriculum and use that so that you can tell the state that you've checked all the boxes. Nowhere does it say that. Isolation for pietistic reasons is not Christian education. Because other parents simply home educate in order to keep their children safe from the perversions of the schools. Instead of training them to confront the perversions and the perverts when they grow to maturity. So isolation never works either. That's pietistic. And it's not Christian education. Christian education is raising lions. It's about equipping and training for the evil days ahead. You know, I've often said, I wish the onslaught would come in my day. Because I think this generation has a lot of grit. The next generation, even of Christians, I'm not so sure. Because I don't believe they've been trained to meet the perversions head on. Paul tells the congregation in Ephesus to redeem the time because the days are evil. There are evil days ahead. That is the purpose of Christian education, to be able to navigate and defeat the evil that's ahead. Buy back the world for the glory of God. That's the purpose of Christian education. Buy back the future. Buy back the future generations. That's the methodology of Deuteronomy 6. Because if your vision is not the restructuring of the world Godward, then your vision is too small and your methods are therefore corrupt. So what is the difference between schooling and education? Why does Moses tell Israel to teach their children while they are on the way, during their daily living? It's because Christian education is a life-learning paradigm executed within the day's events. It's not sitting down for eight hours a day at a desk in your living room or in your kitchen. And it's because Christian education is a life-learning paradigm executed within the day's events. This is why Jesus taught his disciples while they were traveling, while they were eating, while they were talking, while they were doing this, while they were doing that, while they were doing the other thing. It is because he was actually educating them according to the biblical model of Deuteronomy 6 so as to function as Christians within the realm of the culture and not within the realm of an institution let alone a government institution. Sitting in the classroom for eight hours or sitting in your living room for eight hours or sitting in the kitchen for eight hours is not education in the biblical sense even when it's done at home.
This does not mean that there should never be a lecture setting where you're sitting at a table or in the living room or classroom setting, but the majority of learning should be done through living. A school is actually an institution that consciously attempts to turn men into something. That's what a school is. Let me read that again. A school is actually an institution that consciously attempts to turn men into something most times that they're not. It's not education. It's turning men into something. It actually has an agenda. According to J.H. Spring, in his work, The 12-Year Sentence of Compulsory Schooling, he says, a school could be a communist, a democrat, a Methodist, or an Amish man. In other words, those who control the schools control a character-producing institution. The real danger of schooling is that it becomes an instrument of power for a ruling elite to maintain and enhance their power over the societal system in a totalitarian system. This is precisely the purpose to which the system of schooling directs its attention. Turning men into something. Today, turning men into perverts, girls into men, boys into girls. But the goal of biblical education is to prepare cultural leaders who will reform, reorient, and redeem the culture Godward for the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of the universe. Depending on the depravity of the culture, this might mean that the Christian must subdue the enemy before he reforms the cultural realm. This can only be accomplished when Christendom begins to understand the end and goal of education. Cultural leadership and cultural reorientation Godward. Dr. Lance Brooks, in his doctrinal work, explains it this way, quoting partially from other sources. He says, quote, Every morning... When a child of God wakes up in our world of naked power, in our atmosphere of despair and intellectual nihilism, then he realizes that he has, by God's grace, answers where others have only questions. And he can sing Psalm 3 again. And he will learn at last to stop being so terribly defensive. Then he will begin, in the name of the king who placed him here in God's world, where he rose from the dead, to posit clear Christian alternatives. That's the key now. The key to Christian education. Clear Christian alternatives to the non-answers of the wicked. Because they have no answers. He continues. And he will take the message of the kingdom outside of the mothball chest of the church into the world where it belongs. Biblical Christians must de-school themselves and their children, then educate their children in life for life with a discipleship emphasis to ensure that the members of their covenant communities are educated in a God-honoring way and to a level that will ensure that they can fully obey the requirements of the dominion and gospel mandates, the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ." That's why when you go to church today and you hear an anecdotal sermon of 20 minutes without any depth, any, any, any substance with the football scores at the end, it means nothing. It changes nothing. We need to be deeply educated in the Word of God and equipped with the Word of God to go out and equip others with the Word of God and to dethrone 
the wicked powers that be. R.J. Rushton, he gives additional insight for a biblical education in his work, The Philosophy of Christian Curriculum. He says, educational curriculum expresses the religious standards and expectations of a culture. He warned that, quote, a curriculum which professes to be Christian because it includes religious instruction but is in all else humanistic in orientation will also breed statism and anarchism. See, that's why we have to have an expressly biblical, Christocentric education. Rustuni contended that the proper function of education and the curriculum is, quote, the preparation of man to glorify God, to enjoy Him, and to serve Him in and through a chosen calling. Today, that calling is to liberate the culture from the perversion of the reprobates. Okay, so how do you do it? Right now, so what's, what's the tactic? What's the strategy? How do you do this? How do we assist in this commission? How do we encourage, equip, and support the deconstruction of the anti-Christian monolithic schooling system of the state? How do we deconstruct the Colosseum of the Greeks? How do we re- reconstruct the culture Godward? How do we assist Christian families to honor the principles of Christian education? How do we bring back liberty into our nation? Well, first... We need to deprogram Christian parents from the state schooling mentality and focus them on the Christ-centered dominion mandate. But this is not enough. As Gary North rightly assesses, you can't beat something with nothing. We have to give them something. Just can't pull them out of the schools. Simply by telling parents that they should home educate for the advancement of Christ's kingdom without giving them a clear view, a vision of a workable model along with providing them with the assistance, support, and guidance they need, they may not do it. They may be afraid. Whether they may feel inadequate or that the task is too difficult or maybe there's a one-income family. That's why we, who are convicted, must stand alongside to assist Now, too often, even when Christian parents decide to remove their children from the state schooling system, the majority of Christians merely bring the state schooling system with all of its tests and requirements and accreditation baggage into the home, and that's not what we want. The home then only becomes a subculture of the state. Christ, the infallible law word of God and its cultural commandments to reconstruct the society becomes only to that group an appendage to the curriculum rather than the center of it. Now we can all scream all day long, complain, whine all day long about how the evils of the state schools have corrupted the culture, but without a biblical alternative, without a biblical vision, a practical vision, help and support coming alongside the parents our progress will be at best limited. So here's the answer, I believe, at least one of them. And it's exactly what we did here. We set up what some call a flexible learning center. But all of you parents who have educating who are educating your children, all of you parents who are educating your children at home actually have a flexible learning center. Because what a flexible learning center is or could be, it's a space. It could be a private effort run by a family, run by a a church, a parachurch organization. But on the most basic level, it's in the home, in churches. And that's what we have here. On the most basic level, it's a small space where we can educate children. New Geneva is the model for both a church and a parachurch flexible 
learning center. We have built a learning center. You have a library in your homes. I have encouraged you to build libraries in your homes so that you have a resource available in the home, not just here, but in your home. Parents that need help educating their children. Let's say, for instance, you have a two-income home and they have to go to work, whatever it is, a, a widowed woman, a single mom, a single dad. Well, those children can be brought into your home. That's a flexible learning center. Or they could be brought here with the help of the church. Lance Boggs has this to say about its construct. Notice what he says. Typically, flexible learning centers will be run out of private homes or rented facilities and are privately managed, partially supported by tithes and offerings of local churches, and partially supported by commercially contracted fees paid by the users of the service. Their target market will be home-based educators. These flexible learning centers would be equipped with a growing biblical Christian research library consisting of physical books and digital books that can be accessed by the flexible learning center computers. So we have everything here. There's no reason why people should not be home educating their children. There's no reason why every church in our community is not a flexible learning center. There's no reason why the schools are still being funded by taxpayers if they would just jettison their children and take them out, the system would crumble and then we would start as we should. In short, a flexible learning center is a clearinghouse of ideas and information all based upon an explicitly Christian world and life view. What is needed now is for this model Geneva's model, to be replicated throughout the United States in homes and in churches. It then needs to be brought into other nations across the globe. Because if Christ is the Lord of all, if Christ is the Lord of everything, then everything must come under his sovereign rule and lordship. We will either live as pietists, isolated from the world, or we will live as conquering Christians, reorienting the world Godward. If we live hiding from the conflict, we will live as slaves. But if we take the fight to the enemy, if we use the liberating word of God, if God wills, we will live as liberators. For the battle is the Lord's, but it is our task to do the bidding. That's our duty. And in this way, the Christian community can become the cultural leaders that God has called it to be by truly discipling the nations. And in this way, we can once again establish the crown rights of King Jesus on earth in time and in history and truly be able at that point to declare liberty to the captives. And this we shall do, God helping us unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Amen.